Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis. We're getting back to the book of Genesis again. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, please. And we're going to read from the verse 16. Genesis chapter 3 and the verse uh, 16. We're coming to think today under the title, The Price of Redemption. The Price of Redemption. Genesis, please, in the chapter 3 and the verse 16. And God willing, uh, we will make it to the end of the chapter uh, this morning. This is the word of the Lord, and we read, Unto the woman he, that is the Lord, said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. To know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep. The way of the tree of life. We trust the Lord will bless uh, the reading of his word to each of our hearts this morning. We're thinking again uh, of this, uh, our, our series back to the beginning as we go right back to the beginning of time. And we think of all that has uh, gone on uh, at the very start. And there are so many answers uh, in these verses and these chapters as to why the world is. Uh, the way it is today. Forgiveness is free to us, but it's very costly to God, and we're going to see that today. And this is a great thing to think about, a great subject to think about, as we sit here on the last Lord's Day of an old year, a day when we often reflect and give thanks for our many blessings, as the song says that we should count them one by one. And probably the greatest blessing that we have is the forgiveness that is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of a greater blessing than the blessing of salvation and the blessing that we have been forgiven from sin. I can't think of a better or greater blessing than to be condemned to death 
And then to discover that I have been declared not guilty because of a price that someone else paid on my behalf. And when we understand the price that someone else paid, that's what gives us a a spirit of thanksgiving. Because unless that price was paid, our salvation would be an, an impossibility. We are continuing through Genesis 1 to 11, and we've learned so much in these first three chapters. Genesis 1 was the whole creation week. Genesis 2 was about what happened on one of those days of creation, day 6. And things seemed to be humming along beautifully and perfectly at that stage. Everything is working the way God had designed it. And we ask ourselves, well, what went wrong? Well, what went wrong was Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 will describe the aftermath of the fall. But the fall itself is is in Genesis 3. A chapter that we've gone through relatively slowly because without Genesis 3, the rest of the Bible makes absolutely no sense. Without Genesis 3, the condition of our world makes no sense. Without Genesis 3, salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ that's offered to us as a gift makes no sense. In these verses that we've read together this morning, we will find the punishment for sin given to Adam and Eve, but we'll also find that God provides yet again God provides as well as we've traveled through chapter 3 we've considered the fall and just how subtle and how evil Satan really is we've learned that Satan hates us he hates you remember that today we heard we've heard of the very first promise that a, a savior would come and now we see God's response to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden we, we see what happened as a result of their sin And it happens when anyone rebels against God. In short, we see God's answer to sin. He must punish sin because he has to be consistent in his character. He's a just God and a just God must punish sin. God is holy. He cannot stand sin. He can't tolerate it. And yet also in his character, he's gracious and he's merciful to the sinner. And by his grace, he makes a provision for his people. Paul describes these specific attributes of God in Romans chapter 3.26. He says that God is both just, meaning that he has a righteous standard that can't be compromised, but God is also the justifier, the one who is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is justified. He makes gracious provision for the sinner in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole story of redemption starts here. In Genesis chapter 3, nothing has really changed for mankind up until this day. The bad news is simply this, there's a consequences for your sin. A price has to be paid for your sin, but God has made a way of escape. He has made a way of escape for the eternal consequences of sin, and that's in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the believer, sin will still plague you for the rest of your physical life. But for the unbeliever, the consequences of sin remains on your soul forever. We're going to follow through these verses as we have read through them together. together. And firstly, what I want you to see is this. I want you to see the, the punishment for sin. The punishment for sin. And we're going to firstly cons- consider Eve's punishment. Look at verse 16. 
Unto the woman he, the Lord, said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The curse that God pronounced on Satan was very specific and direct. But now he looks at the woman and it's not direct. He he curses the major factors of her life. What was the woman's sin? Well, you have to go back to verse 6 of chapter 3 where we read, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The woman, it seems, was seeking pleasure. And she was seeking pleasure in her pride. What do I mean by that? Well, the tree was good for fruit. It was delightful for her eyes. And her pride is seen in the fact that she she, uh, took over her husband's authority. She usurped her husband's authority. She, She took over his leadership. And she ultimately acted independently from him. And she acted independently from God's word. And therefore the Lord, he pronounced a curse on the woman. The woman was seeking for pleasure. Instead, it brought pain. He says to the woman that she will have multiplied pain. The pleasure that she was seeking in the garden from the forbidden fruit has been turned into pain as punishment. And it's because of her sin. Look at what the Lord says. He says, I will greatly multiply Thy sorrow and thy conception. What that means is I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Let me say something as a general application to us all today. And young people, I want you to listen so carefully to this. Sin will look so attractive. The devil makes it look so beautiful. And you will desire it and you'll want to go and do it. And it will look great. But see, once you take the first step into sin, it'll lead to pain and misery. It looks great from the outside. But when you get involved in it, the devil will pull you as far as as he can away from the church and God's people. And he'll take you further than you ever wanted to go. You make sure you stay close to the Lord where true joy is found. As we've sang with the boys and girls, that joy that can't be destroyed. It's found in Christ. Eve looked and she desired and it looked delightful. But as soon as she disobeyed, the pain of sin comes to her. Look at the verse. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Greatly multiplied. The literal translation of this English verse is, I will greatly multiply your pain and your conceptions. I will greatly multiply your pain and in pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. For centuries women have endured great pain. They've risked complications and even death and childbirth. And I want you to think about this. In the early days of the Bible, a lady who's pregnant and giving birth maybe in a tent in the desert and there's no doctor and maybe you have some towels and water, there's going to be great pain. 
You remember in Genesis 35, Rachel is giving birth as they're traveling and she gives birth to Benjamin. And it's described twice as a severe labor. And she passes away as the child is coming out of the womb. And she doesn't call him Benjamin. She calls him Benoni, meaning the son of my sorrow. She is in great pain. It isn't really until recent times of modern medicine that there's been the ability to begin to alleviate the pain and sorrow of childbirth. There still is, even with that, great pain and risk to the woman and risk to the child. But you know, wherever, wherever there's a curse, there's also a great blessing from God. God is both holy and yet he is gracious. We can think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 16, verse 21, when it comes to childbirth. Here's what the Lord Jesus said. A woman, when she is in travel, travel, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. Listen to this. So she has sorrow in her childbirth. But listen to what the Saviour says. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy. That a child is born into the world. Isn't that lovely? That even though the Lord is holy, even though the Lord is, 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 he must punish sin, and there is the pain in childbirth, yet he is gracious, for there is joy that a child is born into the world. She remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a child is born into the world. Now, the end of verse 16 in Genesis 3 tells us, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. This note of submission in the verse, it isn't identified as part of the curse. Commentators that I have read are divided upon what this means, because the woman, after all, was created for a helpmeet for the man. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. But what all commentators do seem to agree on is that there would be a power struggle between the husband and the wife. Now, uh, some commentators, they note that it's possible God was referring here to an imbalance of how the husband and wife relationship would be from then on because of sin. I'm not sure. I personally believe that God was reiterating what they already knew from before the fall. However, that's maybe a deeper study for another time. Eve was to continue being Adam's helper. No matter what your viewpoint is, in Ephesians 5 we see the picture of how a husband and wife are to function. Where Paul does this great parallel between the husband and the wife and Christ and his church. The woman is to willingly submit to the leadership of the husband and the man is to love his wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church. And that is the only way that it works. Only a man who loves the Lord and fears the Lord can begin to love a woman the way that God wants him to love his wife. That is the way, the only way that it works. We think of Eve's punishment. We have to think of Adam's punishment as well. God now turns to the man and he tells him what's going to happen as a result of his sin. 
and how it will affect him in the sphere of his life, which is which is work and which is providing for his family. Look at verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. This is the first time in verse 17 in the book of Genesis that the man is called Adam. And Adam literally means man. Man. So what's the problem here? It says here, because you listened unto the voice of your wife. What's the problem that Adam has? Is Is it that he listened to his wife? No. No. Listening to his wife was not the problem. The issue is this. Eve's words that he was listening to in Genesis 3 were in direct contradiction to God's command. It's not that he listened to the advice of his wife. It's good to listen to the advice of your wife sometimes, man, isn't it? Sometimes. But you know, it's not that he listened to the advice of his wife. It was that the advice was wrong advice. And it was completely against God's word. And so Adam, this is where the problem lies, chooses to listen to his wife over the words of God. And he knew what God's word was. And he chose to ignore it. So now God curses the ground. And all of the creation is affected because of sin. Because of Adam's sin. And the very thing, the ground that sustains life. That brings forth vegetation from which the crops grow. The trees, the fruit, everything that we get. The sustenance that we need to survive. It's now under a curse. And it's brought under futility. And the word ground in Hebrew, this is so important. The word ground in Hebrew is Adama. It's Adam with an A and an H on the end. Adam's name taken from Adama, ground, because that's what he was created from, the dust of the ground. And so God now, God now curses the ground. Obtaining food, work, man's role would now be repetitive, it would be monotonous, it would be difficult, it would take great effort. It's toil day after day. Adam lived for over 900 years and he toiled with the ground all the days of his life. Before the fall, the work that man did didn't have any toil. It wouldn't have had any pain. It didn't have any sorrow. But the conditions after the fall were different. The world was not well watered. Remember, the garden was well watered by four rivers. So now Adam, he's fighting for water to irrigate the land. And there, there, there were no weeds and no thorns before the fall, but there are now. And the land produced in the garden a wonderful crop, but now it's cursed. And it's much more difficult. And God says, this isn't a momentary condition. This isn't going away. Look at what God says. This is a lifelong struggle in sorrow and pain. Shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life? There's so much sorrow here and judgment. Think about what God says. He says all the days of thy life. For the first time that's the suggestion that 
a man will die. It's foreshadowing the days when Adam won't be alive. It's foreshadowing those days that, that his days will come to an end and there will be death. If we see anything here as we read of the curses pronounced in Adam and Eve, it's this. Your sin is serious. Let that burn into your soul today. Sin is serious. And let it be said that whoever you are today, if you are dabbling with sin, dear child of God, I'm speaking to you, if you are dabbling with sin and marring your fellowship with God, know that the all-seeing eye of God knows your heart and all around you here may know nothing about what you do, but God does. And sin is serious. Because of Adam, sin entered the world. Romans 5.12 Because of Adam, death came to all mankind. Romans 5.15 1 Corinthians 15.22 Because of Adam, death reigned over man. And creation, Romans 5.17 Because of Adam, all men are condemned. Romans 5.18 And all men were made sinners. Romans 5.19 The punishment for sin was great. Dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, sin is serious. We've seen the punishment for sin. But this morning, praise God, we see the provision for sin. Look at verse 20. It says there, And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. In a casual reading of the text, it seems that this verse is wildly out of place. It seems a very random verse to be here, but the Spirit of God has put it here for a very important reason. We see that Adam, he calls his wife's name Eve. And it's the first time that he gives her the name. What does Eve mean? Well, Eve means life. It means life giver. That's her name. Eve, life giver. Up until this point, this has been a death march. You've sinned. You're going to die. There's going to be toil. You're you're going to return to the ground. Dust you are and dust you will return. Your days are going to have a limit. Death, death, death. And yet as soon as all that finishes, Adam turns to his wife and he calls her Eve, meaning life. He calls her the life giver. The second interesting thing that he calls her in verse 20 is the mother of all living. She doesn't have children yet. No one is born yet. She's not a mother. So how can Adam look at her and say this? What do his words mean? How can he look at Eve with everything that he's heard, with all the curses that they've heard from God and their sin in the garden and the death that entered into the world, how can he call her Eve the mother of all living? Well, if you remember, and I think this is amazing, Adam was there when when the Lord was pronouncing the curse on Satan and the serpent. He heard the words that, that, that there would be a seed of the woman. He heard that this seed would triumph over the serpent and Satan. And he would crush the head. And Adam believed God's words. And he had faith in what God had said. And he was looking forward to the one that would come from the woman. The seed of the woman from his wife. 
He also heard these words from God. God is talking to Satan and the serpent. He says, I will put enmity, I will put war, I will put hatred between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed, everything that's demonic, and her seed. And it's almost as if God was looking at Satan at that very moment in time and saying, Satan, you think because of their sin that you've won Adam and Eve. You think that you've won the war. And God is saying to Satan, they're mine. They'll repent and believe, and I'll cover them in the righteous blood of my Son, their seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, God, will put enmity, hatred between my people, Adam and Eve, between them and between you. And so Adam, clinging to God's word after all these curses, could call his wife's name Eve, because there was going to be victory from God. It would come in the future. But even in the, in the wake of all these curses, there was hope. Not only that, he was looking forward to the promise of God. He knew that this woman would be the one who would ultimately issue the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the victor. What is faith? Faith is what is hoped for, not what is seen. Adam is looking forward. He knows that all those who will be spiritually alive, all those who will put their trust in the Lord, all of God's people will come from Eve because they will be found in Christ. She is the mother of all living. Now verse 21 is key when we consider our main title this morning, the price of redemption. There was a cost to their sin. There was a cost to their sin. It says unto Adam also, And to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothe them. Now look at the verse again. On to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make. Now stop right there. Who's doing the work now? God is. It's very different from when Adam and Eve, from what Adam and Eve were doing in verse 7 when they were trying to cover themselves. And now in verse 21 it's God who's covering them. And the Lord God, he makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And God's doing the work and it is God who clothes them now. Now the big question here is where exactly did these garments of skin come from? And the implication for me is very clear that the garments of skin came from the corpse of a dead animal. The body of a dead animal. And how did the animal die? Well, God killed the animal right there on the spot. It's there by implication. It's there when you read through the Old Testament, you see the price of sin. Animals had to die. And God killed the animal right there on the spot. And here we find the price of redemption. He took the skins from that animal and he clothed Adam and Eve. And you say, well, what did the animal do wrong? So God would kill the animal. What, what did the animal do wrong and take the garments? Why did God do that? Well, the animal did nothing wrong. The animal was not involved in the sin. The animal was completely innocent. And God did this transaction by treating the animal as the innocent substitute. An innocent substitute dies under the decree of God. And God takes the skin from the innocent substitute. And he transfers that to Adam and Eve who were pathetically trying to cover themselves. It speaks of those righteous ropes of Christ. His ropes for mine. His ropes for mine. And if that's not an open presentation of the gospel right here in Genesis 3, I don't know what is. 
God at the very beginning of human history said, here's how it's going to work. You're not going to clothe yourself in your own works and come into my presence and sin. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to kill an innocent substitute in your place. And through that transaction, I will clothe you. God at the very beginning is revealing how he is going to forgive sin and yet still remain in his character of holiness. And this is what we call atonement, which means substitute. That's a big issue when you think about this. I mean, God, he can't just ignore sin. That would violate his character. It's got to be punished. But at the same time, he loves Adam and Eve too much to see them fall into condemnation. So he pours out his wrath on an innocent substitute and through the skins of that innocent substitute they're transferred to Adam and Eve. I believe this. Now, we don't see this in the text, but when I read through the Old Testament and think of the context of the Old Testament, I believe that when this animal died, and I believe it did die, that Adam and Eve would have been an absolute shock. They have been shocked to the core of their beings. You see, up until this point, they wouldn't even have eaten meat because it was the, the garden. It was the garden that was there to feed them. God said that the trees and the herbs would be meat for them to eat at this stage. Therefore, they would never have seen an animal die. It's later on in Genesis that we see an animal die and be eaten for food. So they wouldn't have seen anything die. Death wasn't part of creation. And when God killed this animal, I think it would have shocked Adam and Eve to the absolute core of their beings. You see, here's Adam and Eve. They see an animal die in their place. And they see the cost of sin. It's very, very costly. Brothers and sisters, let us never forget that sin is an abomination to God. So is that temptation that you're currently battling. That sin that you can't get to grips with that you're losing to, you must place it in the Lord's hands, who is the overcomer. Or it may cost you more than you ever dreamt. Although the devil makes it look beautiful and attractive, lust lies. The, the alluring voice of sin, it can penetrate the most intelligent mind and cause its victim to believe it and respond to its evil charm. Sin is never short of ideas. It's not a respecter of a person. You could bolt your front door and sin will rattle at your bedroom window or crawl onto your TV screen or sneak into the top corner of that magazine you like to read. The only way to go to war with it is to daily have a close walk with the Lord. Remember this intruder called sin pays wages. And the wages of sin is death. Sin has awful consequences. And the sacrifice of this animal proved it to Adam and Eve. Dear friends, the Lord Jesus, the incarnate, eternally existent second member of the Trinity, is the innocent who shed his blood in your place. For the child of God bought our redemption. God himself stepped out of eternity into time in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to bear the sin debt that we couldn't bear. And in Genesis 3.21 is a picture of what Christ has done for us. The death of an innocent animal in the place of the guilty. 
simultaneously satisfying the two natures of God. His holiness is satisfied because sin is punishment and his love is satisfied because now his wrath does not have to be poured out on the human race at large. It's now limited to an innocent animal and humans can take refuge in the, that by way of faith we can avoid the wrath of God. The principle of this is found in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. You know, when we look at the curses that were put upon Adam and Eve, sin brought pain to childbirth. Well, no one knew more pain than the Lord Jesus did. Through his suffering, he brought many sons to glory. Sin brought conflict. And the Lord Jesus endured great conflict to bring our salvation. Thorns came in and thistles. When the sin and the fall happened, the Lord Jesus endured a crown of thorns to bring our salvation. Sin brought sweat. And the Lord Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood to win our salvation. Sin brought sorrow. And the Lord Jesus, he became a man of sorrows acquainted with grief to save us. Sin brought death. And Jesus tasted death for everyone that we might be saved. Now the final gracious gracious provision that God gave to Adam and Eve was that he put them out of the garden. How is this a gracious provision? Well, if Adam and Eve had remained in the garden and eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived the rest of eternity in sorrow. They would have lived forever on earth as sinners and their future would be bleak. Therefore, the Lord banished the couple from the garden. In fact, it tells us that in verse 24, he drove them out. And the way to the tree of life was shut. And the way to the tree of life would one day be opened again by the Lord Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. And we find the tree of life again in Revelation. We gain more than Adam ever lost in our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I'd love to have time to talk about that verse, Galatians 3.13 more. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is any, any man who hangs in the tree. What a subject that is. But Adam, who was given dominion over all creation, handed the dominion over to Satan. And our Lord Jesus in the temptation was the first man ever to stand before Satan and win as a man. As a man before the living God, he defeated Satan. Then went to the cross and bore the curse and rose again. And one day he's coming and he tells us, Let the Spirit say to the churches, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the what? From the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of Of the paradise of God. You see Christ had to buy back our redemption. That we would see our righteousness in Christ Jesus. That when we stand in glory. That we will be there in unsinning bodies. If that tree of life had remained. We would have lived forever in the state of our sin. What will it be like when we see the tree of life one day? Well imagine this. In the middle of its street and on, the, on either side of the river was the tree of life, 
which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. This chapter certainly teaches us why this world is the way it is, because of man's sin. And I don't want you to forget this. God is holy and he cannot stand sin. But he is gracious and he's merciful to his people. Sin has a consequence in this life. But God saves his people through the innocent substitute, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to our God. He has made the way. It is God who clothed Adam and Eve with the blood sacrifice. And he has made the sacrifice for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blood had to be shed for the price of our redemption. He's clothed you in the righteousness of his son. You're called to believe. And I pray that if you're here or if you listen online and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, that you wouldn't try and clothe yourself and live good lives. But that you would see that will never work. Adam and Eve learnt that. Oh, my prayer is that you'll turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek him alone, who is our righteousness, the price of redemption.